0: I remember years ago that I was sitting in the auditorium of Park Community Church in Chicago, and the pastor asked us if we knew what the gospel was. Like, could we retell it? Could we articulate it? And I confess, I was thrown for a loop. I believed the gospel, I knew that, but I realized I couldn't actually articulate what it was at that time. Since then, I've made it a point to not only know for myself how to verbalize the gospel, but also to tell it to others. So what is the gospel? Could you answer that question in simple terms to a person who was unfamiliar with Christian jargon? On most episodes of this podcast, we do a deep dive into some really important aspect of the Christian worldview or an apologetics question. But sometimes as believers, we overlook the most simple, important theological doctrines because we think we already have a handle on them the gospel must not become one of those overlooked doctrines. Without the gospel, there would be no Christianity. The gospel is so vital that the Apostle Paul himself called it the matter of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15.3. In this episode, we're talking about what you need to know about the gospel, the best news in the world, the central Christian doctrine. My name is Joel This I'm a former pastor, a a missionary. From the Think now I'm the executive director the of Worldview the Think, Think Institute. Institute. Their I help believers to talk them. about their faith and share the gospel with confidence and to pass on the gospel and that faith to the younger generation and answer the world's questions from the Bible. So, how can you explain the gospel with confidence in simple terms? This is episode is going to help you express the heart of the Christian worldview. The gospel is arguably the most important doctrine in all of Christianity. And you want to be the worldview leader in your family, in your local area, at work. So you need to be able to do this. This episode is going to help you share the gospel. Now, to help us answer this question of how to best explain the gospel in simple terms, we're joined today by someone who has helped me deepen my own understanding of the gospel Pastor Joe Thorne. Joe's a good friend and has been my family's pastor since we became members of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. He's written books like Note to Self and Experiencing the Trinity. He's an extremely based and gospel-based teacher of God's word. When I realized that I needed to do an episode of, of this podcast on the gospel, he was the first person that sprang to my mind and he's really the perfect person to help us dig in and do a deep dive on this topic. Have you ever wished that you had a clear, concise, simple way of explaining the gospel in terms that others could understand whether they were Christian or not? Or maybe you yourself are actually wondering what the gospel is. Most likely you're at the point where you've believed the gospel and you could use a boost. This episode is going to give you that boost, and for believers, Hearing the truth of the gospel enunciated and celebrated is always encouraging. Now, in this episode, you'll learn how the gospel finally clicked for Joe Thorne and what happened next. You'll learn why Paul says that the gospel is of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15.3. You'll learn why God doesn't just save his elect directly rather than using us to to do it by sharing the gospel. You'll learn who the audience is of God's great theater of redemption in the world. And of course, you'll learn what the gospel actually is and how Jesus' death 2000 years ago can pay for our sins today. You'll learn where we go wrong in defining and sharing the gospel and whether the gospel is in fact the dividing line between true and false churches. And finally, how to share the gospel without scripts or gimmicks. Now, if you want to take your progress of becoming the worldview leader that your family and church need to the next level, you need to know about our online community. This is the group with over 700 like-minded individuals who are on the same journey that you're on to become the worldview leaders that their families and churches need. I'll tell you about how to get access to it and all the resources and amazing discussion that we have in that group at the end of this episode. So now, my discussion with Pastor Joe Thorne. We are here with my friend and Pastor Joe Thorne, talking about how to explain the gospel in simple terms. And as always, I wanna get right to the good stuff. So, to begin with, Pastor Joe, what would be easier to give up, cigars or metal?
1: Cigars, yeah. Seriously? Yeah, I mean, I've been listening here to-, to I've, I've enjoyed both for probably the same amount of time. Cigars started in third grade, so. That's <laughs> been, it's been, what? and I had, I guess, no, cause Seriously? I was yeah, yeah, I know it was stupid. Um, but yeah, be- because as much as I enjoy cigars and I really enjoy them and as much as they help me to relax and all of that, it costs more money than metal does. Oh, and, um, like, I don't know, metal, metal really lifts me up music really lifts me up, um, fills me mm. with light. I, like when I find the kind of music that I listen to, the kind of metal that I listen to is just, um, very encouraging and strengthening fortifying. I read all my, all my articles, all my sermons, all my books are written to, while listening to metal. So yeah, I give up cigars first. How did you come
0: to understand our topic today, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ? At right. what point in
1: your life did it click for you? Well, I'd never heard the gospel till I was 17. So I'd never been to church, never listened to a preacher. Um, The only scripture that I was exposed to as a little kid um, were in scary movies. Creature from the Black Lagoon starts with a reading from Genesis, by the way, if you don't know that. and it's sort, of, it's sort of a melding of, of Genesis and then evolution, right? It's like these things come together at the beginning of the Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, I so I didn't have any exposure to any real biblical truth. Uh, I had lots of questions, lots of frustrations as a kid. I tended to think a lot. Doesn't mean I'm smart, I just had a lot of questions. And um, yeah, I was pretty frustrated. Um, it led me into a bunch of weird directions because nobody could provide me with answers. And you know what scripture says God has revealed himself in creation, but we all say, no, thanks (laughs) don't want that. (laughs) I want something that resonates with the inner me. So, so I started looking, I got into the occult. I got into all kinds of stupid stuff as a teenager. Um, but the short story is I, I ran into a girl at the Dean's office in high school. I was sent to the Dean's office. She was volunteering at the Dean's office and I walked in. And I saw her and I was like, what's up? And I got her phone number from somebody and I called her up and we went to see a movie. And she was the first real Christian that I ever talked to. And, oh, wow. um, and how that, you were 17? Yeah, I was 17. Yeah. She told me all about Jesus that we sat in her living room. She, mm-hmm. she pulled out a Michael W. Smith record or a tape which was not helpful. I was immediately like, "Oof, this guy's a dork. Why are you showing me sure this guy? This yeah. rocket, the rocket town song is so moving. I'm like, mm, no, he's lame. But what she was saying was interesting. The gospel was interesting. So it was the first time I ever heard it was 17. I wrestled with it for a long time. Well, for about a year. And I was 18 going on 19 when, uh, the gospel became very clear and I believed and it kept getting clearer to me and and certainly more beautiful as I meditated on it. I wasn't meditating on it. I I was plagued by it. I was haunted by it because I wanted the forgiveness of sins. I wanted peace with God. I wanted all of these things that I could somewhat understand, but I just didn't think that they were really that it was a real possibility and it wasn't because i doubted that god could forgive i just didn't believe that god would forgive because i hated him and the church without cause for so long but uh, yeah so like I, god just kept bringing these christians into my life and they kept telling me about jesus it was very strange i mean from no contact to like i'm literally getting surrounded by christians and uh, yeah it was summer of 1990 i think i just referenced this on sunday the summer of 1990 almost the fall really was the end of summer. I, I I went from not believing to believing I was converted, boom. And the gospel became very clear, very compelling. You mentioned that you had, you said
0: you had like antipathy or hatred towards God and his people without cause. What was that like? If we were to go back in time and ask 16 year old, 17
1: year old Joe, how do you feel about God? How do you feel about the church? What was going on there? Well, again, I, like all kids or like most kids, I was ignorant and dumb. And like the worst of kids, I was really proud and rebellious. So, um, that was all kind of feeding into it. I was asking questions about why are we here? Why is there suffering? What's the point? I was suicidal for years. It was, it was really bad. And nobody mm-hmm. could give me any answers. My parents couldn't give me any answers. They did their best. Right. But they didn't, they didn't have the gospel either. And so um, I, I was, I was really just sort of turned off to all of the, the superficial Christian expressions that I had seen, whether that's in pop culture or just, you know, sort of churchy folk who, you know, are morally superior to other people, you know, these, these very superficial and, and tangential sort of Christian religious persons right that i would that i would interact with but like nobody that ever actually told me about jesus Mm. um you know the, the the best i got was sort of the hey you're you're a bad kid you know you need to you need to you need to change your ways right which isn't exactly evangelism so um i was just i was just mad i was an angry kid you know, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this, I, as a little kid, I was beat up a lot. I got beat up a lot. I got, not just picked on, I mean, I got beat up. I had to learn how to fight to stop getting beat up because it's like, I'm not a big guy. And it wasn't until I learned how to fight that it finally stopped, you know, because the, and until you do, you're just a constant target. Right. So I was angry about that. You know, I had little man syndrome, you know, like, Hey, I'm not a little person. You know, I'm not a baby. I'm not a punk. Don't, you know, mm-hmm. I had all these, you know, these, these pride issues going on. So yeah, I was just angry at everybody. I had a lot of rage issues. And then, uh, yeah, so I, I just pointed at God. I was just like, what, what has God ever done to me? Not seeing mm-hmm. what he had done for me. Clearly. But yeah, just silly foolishness. You know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God or the fool rages right. at God. It's, it was just all folly and ignorance and pride. So how did that feel when it clicked, when you understood it? Uh, the moment of my, cause I don't remember that what date it was. Like I couldn't pick a date on the calendar, but I remember when it happened. I mean, I'm very conscious of it. Lying on my bed, reading the gospel of Matthew, boom, the light turned on and I rolled off my bed. I mean, I'm, I'm in shock. I'm happy. And I start praying. I mean, I really start praying irreverently, but I'm praying. And along the lines of, you better not be jerking me around, God. <laughs> <laughs> along those lines. Because, like, I just, because I, I mean, I really, I just knew God had just changed my heart. Like, I believe now. It was so strange to me because I'd have no church experience, no background. I'd been to church at that point three times, I went to three services at that point which was very strange to me. And it was just a, your typical Baptist church service. But in that moment I was converted and yeah, I don't think I realized how, I know, I don't think people do. I don't think I realized how much had changed or would change until I got farther down that road. You know, mm-hmm. because I was, I was sexually abused as a kid and, um, another reason for anger and rage. Right. And, um, and so my plan was, when I'm done with high school, if I make it that far, I'm gonna go find that person and I'm gonna kill them. Like that was my that was that was the only the only plan I had. I didn't have any plan for growing up. I didn't think I'd live to see thirty. I didn't I didn't care, but that was the one plan I did have after graduating, um, or when I just was done with high school. And I didn't realize until later on I wound up seeing that person again. And I, I mean, I'd just forgiven them, the the bitterness, the hatred in my case was gone. It just I, 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 I realized like that, that person is lost and needs Jesus. So I, I don't think I realized a lot of it, you know, the, 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 the degree to which the change had, had happened until like you sort of uncover things. But I can remember, you know, being with Christians and thinking like, man, I really used to hate you people for no good reason, like for no good reason at all. You know, it was, it was just ignorance and, and stupidity and false accusations. But, but yeah, but now I love these people. So yeah, it just, it, it sort of became clearer the, the, the longer, I mean, you know what it's like, you know, you, you, you don't know, you don't know what you don't know, but you also don't know what you do know as, as you're going along, you kind of realize like, oh, wow. Yeah, I get this. I understand this now. Mm. So I could see the beauty before from the outside, but you know, once you're in the kingdom, once you believe and your heart's changed, your, 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 your whole orientation, like that's a popular word today, right? You have a new orientation given to you by God, it radically changes your perspective, your understanding, your identity. So yeah, things were, things were were very different, but yeah, it, it was pretty great. And I'll tell you what my family and my friends weren't too excited about it, but my family was happy because I wasn't all dark and, you know, suicidal. They were like, oh, he's happy. They would have been happy if I was a Scientologist except for them stealing money from people. They probably wouldn't like that part, but you know what I'm saying? If I would have, if I would have chosen any religion, they would have been, they would have been happy because I was happier. They were supportive. I've heard your story before, I think from the pulpit, and I think you and I have chatted about it before,
0: but it's nice to, it's nice to explore the emotional aspect of things. Yeah. You know, what it felt like. That's, that's incredible, man. Um, for me, I was, I became a Christian at such a young age and it's funny because later on in life I have gone back and thought about what I was like when I was four versus when I was six. You right. Know? And it's like, there was a change. There was a little change in my baby little heart. Um, but but man, that it's it's so powerful what God does. Yeah. What do you think it means for the gospel to be of first importance, as the apostle Paul says in first Corinthians fifteen, three?
1: Well, um, I would say that it is, we consider it, Paul considered it of first importance because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, Romans 1.16, right? There are many truths that we hold. There are many things that we believe, but there is, and there are many things that we say, but there is one message that we are called to herald, right? Many things that we're called to say, but one message message. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's what I think of when I think of the gospel. Um, and we got to define what the gospel is of course, but, um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's of first importance because it is the means by which God carries out his redemptive work. Sinners are redeemed, transformed, and then transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Um, yeah, the, the, the gospel is of first importance because it not only speaks of God's redemptive work, but also the church's missional work, right? That, you know, we have a mission. It's not the mission of God, right? It's the mission of the church. These are two different missions. God's mission is to redeem. Our mission is to make disciples, right? Is to proclaim the gospel, to teach and preach and to train up. So, um, yeah, that, that's some of what I, what I think of when I think of first importance,
0: why, why doesn't God just save everyone himself directly through direct divine revelation? Why does he use us in the church?
1: Yeah. I mean, in one sense, you know, take it up with God. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't <laughs> know. I, I don't think the Bible literally says this is why God does this, but I think it speaks to it um, because God certainly could, first of all, God could have, could save everybody. Um, he could have chosen to save every individual that has ever been created. Um, so why, why, why does he save some? And then why does he use us to do it? Why doesn't he just make it happen? Why does he use means? Um, well, that's a good question. I, I think when it comes to, and I don't think you ask this, but from either tied together. Why does God save some and not all? It's because everything that God does, he does first and foremost for his own glory and pleasure um, and his glory, right. His, the, the brightness of his beauty and being the reflection of all that he is, is best seen when his justice and his mercy are magnified. So, um, we get to see his patience. We get to see his long suffering and his love, but we also get to see his, his terrifying judgment and his wrath as history unfolds. And we lead in lean into eternity with people suffering for their sins and their rejection of the gospel and then people receiving the forgiveness of sins and eternal life um, through Christ. So that's a part of that. Why doesn't God just do it? Um, Maybe, maybe the answer in terms of like why he uses means and people in part anyways, is that that's how we exist, right? Like there is, there is a, there is a beauty, And there is a a glory in the work of God, the ongoing work of God in the unfolding of our lives, right? And so I think the, the idea that a child is conceived in the womb and there we have life. We have a person made in God's image and they grow and the more that they grow and develop, you can see the image of God taking shape, right? Even though it's marred you can see the image of god more clearly as as we grow and as we learn in many ways um and as we as we you know hear the gospel and then grow in christ we're you know born again and we begin to grow i think again we see you know the the reforming of the image of god right the the transforming of who we are into the image of christ i think that progressive aspect of of our salvation or sanctification it gives glory to God in a way that isn't seen if it's just an instantaneous punctilier sort of oh you were mm. lost now you are saved boom now you are perfected maybe there's some maybe i think there's there's some beauty in, in seeing God's glory in the process but yeah you know, i don't i don't know what the why god does what he does usually the answers that we have for those questions are well these are some of the reasons why god does what he does but really, there's, there's a lot more that we just don't know the answer to.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of Romans nine when Paul says, who are you? O, who are you, O man to answer back to God? It's yeah. like, sometimes that's the answer,
1: you know, <laughs> shut up. It's, you explained it's, it's great. Right. Because it's like, yeah, watch yourself. Be, be careful. I had this, I had this professor, um, who, teaching Isaiah and he was like a legit scholar and, mm. uh, and he was just this funny, quirky dude and super like power nerd in terms of hebrew and languages right that's the kind of professor you want who's not only has all the knowledge yeah. but he's passionate and whenever students would say something like really stupid and like borderline heretical we're like well you know i'm just you know some students just kind of like throw things out we're learning and so they'll say something and about isaiah or about god in isaiah or about the messiah and um and his response would always be like whoa, oh, oh, be, be careful be careful almost like almost like like, like they were about to step off into a pit and he'd like, he'd be visibly scared from like, whoa, whoa, Hey, be careful right there. Because you know, if we don't see what we're doing, mm-hmm. it's going to lead to this. And it was like, it was, it was always funny to me. I'm like, wow, he's actually concerned for them and he's, his, his earnestness is coming through. And I don't think that's too far off of Paul. Cause when he says like, you know, who are you to talk back to God? I don't view him cause he's writing this to people he cares for. I don't, I don't fear yeah. him like, you know, doing the Mark school. how dare you with fake indignation, <laughs> total posing. Um, what I do think yeah. is that he's like, who are you to talk back to God, man? You realize, mm. do you realize like, it's okay to have a question. We can bring a righteous complaint to God, but he doesn't owe you answers. And so, and, and even then he's like, here's what we do know you know, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. He unpacks a little bit of it, but ultimately you're right. He's like, be careful there. So when you think
0: about Romans nine and you mentioned about how God is putting his attributes on display, not only his gracious mercy, but also his wrath and his justice. Right. Who, this is something I've actually wondered for a while. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Who is the intended audience for this theater of reconciliation and and revelation is it his elect is it the Trinity Father Son and Holy Spirit is it the angels who long to look into these things is it all of the above
1: yeah I, I would think it's all of the above I mean, you know, I mean, intended audience, let's just say who is the audience that is impacted, right? Because I can't leap into the mind of God and determine what is first, you know, (laughs) here. But, but clearly, like the only, the only people that we don't have any indication that they're really going to understand the full scope of things are those in hell. They're going to have some level of Mm. understanding, right? Because they're going to confess, they're going to, you know, they will have to confess and admit the truth here. But I don't think they're going to have the full sense of of exactly what's happened. You know, they'll know. I think they'll know that God is good, but I think they're still going to be so blinded in their unbelief and have hatred in their hearts that. At that point, they're just not going to be able to comprehend much of what's going on. But I think everybody else—I mean, clearly the angels long to understand these things. They look into it. You know, we obviously are—you know—beneficiaries of his his work. But yeah, I, I think he does all things for himself. I think John Piper and Desiring God have have kind of uh, kind of jumped the shark, to use an old metaphor. These days, I'm not—I'm not a big fan of a lot of the new stuff that's coming out of there. Some weird stuff going on, but. Um, some great stuff. John has written some great stuff, and I'm I'm really thankful for some of that. But the book that he wrote that I liked more than anything else was I think it's called The Pleasures of God, right? Mm. So there was Desiring God, and there's like the the pleasure of God. Oh, ple- is it Pleasures Evermore? Maybe no. No, Okay, no, hang on. I, I, yeah, I it, it probably is the Pleasures of God. Then you, I'm sure you'd know. So it know. is. um, I have it somewhere. But, um, so it wasn't about us delighting in God, right? It wasn't the Christian hedonism aspect as much as it was God delighting in God. He does all things for his own pleasure. Um, The pleasures of God. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Don't question me, bro. (laughs) I read the book in like 95, (laughs) bro. Don't question me. (laughs) Whenever it came out, I don't remember. Um, so I could be totally wrong. I wouldn't know again. but but I love that book because it was like, it really it it was just a good work accessible that that helps you to see like listen everything god does he does for himself i mean and i yeah. learned that in systematic theology i i picked up on that in reading the bible but piper just has a way of laying it out and organizing it that's just wonderful it's it's, it's that's my favorite book that he's written yeah especially old school piper
0: he yeah that's the, the old that. that
1: yeah oh, oh og piper ogp you done with ogp 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know me. I like, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, some of the new stuff. Me too. Mm. That's
0: good. Yeah.
1: (laughs) What exactly is the gospel? So I just, um, we just baptized two people at Redeemer on Sunday and I was meeting with, I think she's 13. He's taller than me. Of course, a 13 year old girl. She's been a Christian (laughs) for, for a year, a strong Christian home. And, um, And her father, by the way, is a guy that I met, I'm sure I met him before I became a Christian, shortly before I became a Christian, because he was going to the same church that this girl was going to, and they were all friends. So I met him before I was converted. No kidding. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and like Rob Warford, he's a deacon at our church. Um, he shared the gospel with me before I was converted. So there's a few people here at the church that, that, that knew me way back in the day. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I asked her, you know, I said, um, if I were to ask you this question, like, how would you answer it? And if you and listen, people, adults get this wrong all the time. It doesn't mean that they don't understand what the gospel is, but sometimes you just misunderstand the question, what I mean by this, but what would you say the gospel is? And she just looks at me and she goes, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I was like, Uh, that is absolutely technically accurate that is that is precisely what the gospel is that's what i tell people i tell people the gospel is the life death and resurrection of jesus it's not philosophy it's not a set of Mm. principles or propositions it is history It's fact Mm. the son of god lived died and rose again now lots of people will say that so you have to explain it so it's not just history it's also doctrine right and it is um those events have meaning and so it is, it is like a, a historical sort of doctrine or theology to have it, to use those words in, in a somewhat different way. Um, it's the life, death, and resurrection for Jesus. You know, it is, you could say it is the substitutional life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners by which we are yeah. forgiven of our sins, reconciled to God and given life everlasting. I mean, we could, we could unpack it in a number of different ways, but the, I think the key elements from my perspective are, it's nothing we do it is something god has done it is something accomplished in space and in time the good news christ the son of god jesus of nazareth lived died rose again all on our behalf and through those events in faith in christ we are changed transformed transferred and um oh well, yeah reconciled so i i i put it that's usually how i put it to people and then I, I you know like with my kids when i'm teaching them i say what is the gospel they'll say life death resurrection of jesus i'll say okay What does the believer receive from Christ's life? And then we can talk about that. What does the believer receive from Mm. Christ's death? What does the believer receive from Christ's resurrection? We kind of go that way through it. So they have a a fuller understanding, a somewhat fuller understanding of the gospel.
0: Okay, so how does something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago impact me 2,000 years later? How does that work? How did he die for me and you when we didn't exist?
1: Yeah, yeah, it sort of, it sort of depends on like who who's asking that question, right? Because what I mean is is like the you know I I you and I talk with certain presuppositions and um, certain words and definitions in place that are going to come into play much more freely than if I'm talking to somebody who isn't a Christian and doesn't have the background and they're asking that question. So it you know it depends on who's asking in terms of how I would try to answer that. But for us to say, like, how does, um, how does the death and resurrection of Jesus have an impact on me because the death and resurrection or the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is not just the life, death and resurrection of any man. It is the death and resurrection of the God, man of the eternal one. And so for him to experience in his human nature, death and resurrection, it has significant power that itself is eternal and and operates both you know backward and forward in time you know this is why it's what Mm. jesus is referred to in revelation as the lamb who was slain before the world before the foundation of the world when he wasn't he wasn't (laughs) slain before the foundation he was he 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 died in space and in time right he 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 died Uh, we know where he died so um so what, what does that mean? Well, it, it means that there was, in the Reformed tradition, we talk about a covenant of redemption, an agreement, a plan between the Father and the Son, that this is what would happen, this would unfold to redeem sinners. And um, so that would be a part of my answer, is that the, the reason it matters is because when Jesus, we'll use one example, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the place of sinners and there was this exchange that is made there are those people jesus talks about it like this jesus would say there are those the father has given me right paul usually just uses the word elect or those who are predestined but jesus oftentimes talked about those the father had given me um i don't pray for the world i pray for those you have given me um Mm -hmm. right yeah in the high priestly prayer and jesus uses this expression quite a bit And so when he dies on the cross, he is dying for those the Father had given him. He is taking the punishment that they deserve, that he might purify for himself a people for his own possession. And that work can stretch backward and forward in time because his work itself is from, is is happening to eternal being. And so he can take the place not of just one, but of a multitude so great no man can count it. All of the elect of all ages he redeems. And how exactly that works out, where those souls went, like there's debate about that stuff. But I think all Christians agree that the reason that Christ's sacrifice 2,000 years ago matters so much today is because it is the only means by which our guilt can be dealt with. Our guilt can be removed. Our sins can be atoned for. There is no atonement for our sins outside of Christ. And only he could do it because he was fully god fully man. He was, you know, he, his, his, his divine nature, his, his eternality allows him to accomplish all of this in great measure while he experiences that sacrifice in his human nature. Now that, I, mean, I wouldn't get into all yeah. of that with a non-Christian who's asking basic questions, <laughs> but for us right. just kind of chatting, that's, that's probably how I would put it. Well, that, that's incredible. It's just amazing to think about the,
0: the literally eternal implications of that to me that only makes sense in light of God's total sovereignty. God has to be in control yeah. of history,
1: past, present, future. see right. That's the only way that this works. I would be a much angrier person if I didn't believe that God was in total control Oh, amen. because I like amen. to be in control. And if I can't be in control, <laughs> I don't want you in control, Joel. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I want I mean, me to be in I control, need d- uh, Yeah, but, but you don't want me to be in control. No, and I really don't want me to be in control either. (laughs) Same, right? It better be God because I just, I'm thinking like, you know, I know some people react different. Like some people think they experience a tragedy and they think Mm -hmm. like, well, if I thought God was anywhere near that and he allowed it to happen, I would just like hate him for it. And so they think God wasn't anywhere near that. And I think if God wasn't around when I went through what I went through, then he's not God. Like, well, who is this? If he's not sovereign and in control of all things, if he's not present, you know, and just, just understanding the eternality of God, the the immutability um, of God, you get kind of locked in to what he can do, what, what, what he, what he does, what he has to do, but just by very, very nature. What do you mean you get kind of locked in? Well, it's like, you know, if, if, if you were to say like, some people don't believe that God has predestined whatsoever comes to pass, right? The decree. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they don't, they don't, they don't like much, they don't like much of that, but okay. But they will believe that God knows all things unless they're, you know, going in a really weird direction. Right. Yeah. But if they're Orthodox, yeah, so. you know, more Arminian people, they'll be like, no, God knows all things infallibly. Okay. All things, potential, all things, actual, all, everything that's going to happen. God knows. Yes. God knows. Okay. So before time began, God knew that in 1990, while laying on my waterbed reading Matthew's gospel sermon on the Mount, that I would freely trust Jesus of my own will. He knew that I would do that at that mm-hmm. precise moment before he created the world. And they all say, yes. I'm like, okay, so God can't be wrong. Right. Okay. So smash cuts in 1990. I'm lying on my waterbed at that very moment. Can I not believe? Is it possible for me to change it up? Right. Where's the freedom? God already right. knows. So you, you, once, you, once you start to like think about things like his eternality, that he exists outside of time, um, it, you, his his omniscience, it locks you down into having to wrestle with a God that is much bigger than we're usually comfortable with at the beginning. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's good. You know, I just looked up that passage in revelation. It's revelation thirteen seven through nine, where it talks about uh, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in. Well, okay. So this is, this is where you mentioned that Jesus had been slain before the foundation of the world. I, I, this is going to take us on a total rabbit trail. I'll, I'll probably even just cut this part out, to be honest with you. But the um, there's the way the ESV phrases it, and I think the CSB too. It's it's everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So it's kind of like this awkward phrasing. Well, I think it's awkward. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not. I'm the one who's awkward if I have a problem with the way it's phrased because it's God's word. But um, I think. I think either way, it it speaks to the fact that God's plan was always to send Jesus to be slain before the creation of the world. I don't think you can, you you can't get around that. Acts chapter
1: two, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter four, both make the same point, right? your hand, you, you wicked people did what God's hand predestined would come to pass. Love it. And Uh, you're to blame for it.
0: Yeah. That's, that's one of the best passages. That's one of my go-tos for explaining the problem of evil. And that's going to take us, you know, super far out of the way, but, but no, man, super good. Okay. So where are we likely to go wrong when we're trying to, where, where does the church at large and not necessarily redeemer fellowship? Because I think quite frankly, I think that the way that you explain it, the other pastors explain it is just spot on. But where does the church Mm -hmm. at large tend to go wrong
1: and misidentify the gospel. Yeah. Where are you seeing that right now? Where do we go wrong in misidentifying the gospel? Mm-hmm.
0: We say where th- do we go wrong the in
1: evangelism?
0: Um, well, okay. Uh, maybe first I, identifying the gospel, like like this is the gospel. Where do we get that wrong? Yeah. And then okay. how, do, how do we yeah, share it? Yeah, yeah, it And
1: by the way... I, I'm, I'm big on saying we, we get it wrong. Like collectively okay. we're the church, yeah. you know, I'm okay with that. I appreciate you saying we work hard and our people work hard at, you know, I know you preach a pure gospel. So like, you know, I, I would like leave you out of that as well, but we'll just take corporate responsibility. Like, Hey man, as, as, sure. as, as Baptists, we screw this up sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, we get the gospel wrong. Um, in the Reformed tradition, we talk about law and gospel right? That there are commands that God issues that he holds us to. And then there are promises that God gives to us, right? There's the, the imperatives and the indicatives. And, um, and regardless of how other traditions source, suss all that stuff out, all Christians understand like there are commands that God has issued. And then there are promises that God holds forth. And, um, I think sometimes we get the gospel wrong and therefore get evangelism wrong because we, we try to preach law without gospel. And, and that, that takes a lot of different shapes. Um, but well-meaning Bible oriented preachers and teachers will do this. Um, and it's, it's the, Hey kid, you know, stop all that crazy dancing and cussing and, and, and start you know, going to church and start being a better person and start respecting your mom and your dad. Those are all well, except for the dancing thing. probably, but those are all good things, right? To do or to stop doing. Those are good things. Those mm. are important things. If God calls us to do something, we should do those things, but that's not the gospel. And so I think sometimes, you know, we, we wind up lecturing more than evangelizing and it's because I don't think we understand. Maybe, maybe we're just confused on what the gospel is. We can, we, we preach law without gospel um sometimes i think we try to give gospel without law (laughs) i think sometimes sometimes Mm -hmm. we try to give people good news without much bad news right um but you know there is no hope without hell like that's how i think about it like Mm -hmm. what if, if there's no hell i don't need I don't need your hope, man, because you know I can just i can find temporal pleasures during the day that'll at least amuse me for a for a for a period of time, but the offer of hope you know the like a lot of people will package the gospel this way, you know the whole remember the whole like God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life well, you know you can yeah, explain that I just left that. Yeah. So you, you know it very well. So yeah. you can explain that in ways that are better or ways that are terrible. And it's really mm-hmm. easy to take that in a bad way. Um, God has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> okay. Have you read Fox's book of martyrs? Cause <laughs> it's not, it well, does. There's not to a face painted on that book.
0: That, yeah, no, I love it. I have it on my shelf somewhere around here, but, um, to be fair, the crew, the official crew line is God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah, they changed Which,
1: it. Yeah, they changed it.
0: I, I it's, supposedly that's the way it's always been. But oh, really? I think it's Okay. I that's what they told us when we went down to Florida. Oh, and, for and, okay.
1: And so uh, okay, offers that doesn't change a thing. He said what you said it was offers? Offers, yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I am not saying Have it changes read Foxes anything. And Mars? Right. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, right. It, it, I'm not saying it, it, it changes still, anything. I'm just saying for, for the sake of it yeah, has but. offers. I think that's pretty much the same thing. I'm definitely yeah. summarizing here. I thought you would, I thought you would said something else. There. But my point is, is like, it's easy for us to try to offer, you know, life, Hey, better marriage, right? You know, yeah, you're gonna, right. you're gonna be happier. And listen, you might have a much, and you certainly can have a better marriage. That's possible. Um, but some people have a much harder marriage after they convert because only one of them converts. And then there's all kinds of problems, um, you know, success, satisfaction. You don't get those things right necessarily. And you definitely aren't going to experience the spiritual satisfaction and spiritual joy, growth, and things like that without conviction, right. Without going through the process of, 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 of despair over your sin and over your, your, the condition of your soul. So I think, yeah, I think we, we get the gospel wrong, um, by focusing on, you know, what people need to be doing like doing better the dispensationalists were always arguing about lordship salvation which is something the reformed people never really had to engage in because that's that was long dealt with and it's just not you know we had answers for that before they were debating it um and so it was it was interesting to watch because you know there's a lot of this fighting about like well a lot of it wound up being about well, what is the offer and what is expected of people. So I think we gotta be careful with maintaining what the gospel is. It is what God does. It is something that God offers. It is received by faith alone. Faith alone, that's how it's received. Faith is the instrument of our justification. Um, and that is how we gain access to it, right? We're not, it's yep. not our faith that that itself that justifies us, right? It is the means right. of, our, of, of, of laying hold of Christ who is our justification so i think that's yes. I think that's a problem. I think there's a bunch of methods that got in the way I think we have i think we get the wrong message. I think we get the wrong methods the sinner's prayer you know certainly God has used that in bringing some people many people to Christ um, but it's also been used to sort of um inoculate people to the gospel a lot of people wind up like hey they hear the gospel messages they're they're brought to the front they pray the sinner's prayer and the preacher says did you mean it like Louis palau did you mean that prayer i saw him do this did you did you mean that prayer when you prayed it?" i meant it then your sins have been forgiven you it's like well that's that's certainly not how it works in the bible and it's not that God can't use that, because God uses my screwed up presentations of the gospel. He can use anybody's screwed up presentations of the gospel. Yeah. But but I think that's been a problem, and the, the whole Southern Baptist Convention has reaped the the horrors of overusing the sinner's prayer with little follow up. Um, you know, I think life that, like that whole idea of lifestyle evangelism is, I, I Basically, I think it's a cop out, and and I, I say that as a person who really embraced it for a while right? Because I didn't want to lose the relationship by getting to the gospel too quick. So I'm just going to like, just going to just going to live in the moment. I'm just going to be Christian. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to tell them about Jesus. This was after I was Mr. Evangelist. Um, But, but, and again, it may start with a good motive. Like, I don't want to scare them off, but then ultimately what happens is you never get to the gospel.
0: Yeah.
1: And if they're never going to hear the gospel, they're never going to get saved. There's no, you have to risk the relationship in order to get the gospel to them. So I, I, th- I just think there's a there's a bunch of things that go wrong that can go wrong with how we share the gospel with people. Um, you know, I, I think honestly, approach and tone. I know everybody likes to mock like in time. Oh, you're caring about tone. You're such a snowflake. I'm always tone finding the people to tell me I'm, I'm a snowflake for caring about tone. they have never been in a fight in their life. Anyway, I'm the snowflake. <laughs> um, right. But the point is, fine, okay, whatever. I actually care about how things impact people, right? So, you know, I I don't think, in general, the evangelism that we see in Scripture is not finger-pointing, finger-wagging, you know, frown in the face. That's generally not what it is. It's an appeal, right? It is flee from the wrath of God that's coming. Hmm. Yes, it is. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your sins. Look to Jesus and see who he is, and believe, and then you have eternal life. You have. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, no, no. He, well, as long as we understand what that means, right? <laughs> sure, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's that, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it is. So it's a wonderful plan to die in strength, to, to, to be martyred without yeah. blinking, Right. Okay, yes, that's pretty, that's that is pretty a amazing. wonderful plan. That's pretty wonderful. That is hundred <laughs> percent. But nobody wants to sign up for that. And and right. Listen, I kind of like the idea. Like, hey, listen, if, if I can scare you, I listen, we do this at Redeemer. If I can scare you away from joining Redeemer, you should not join Redeemer. Um, if I can scare you away from following Jesus by being honest with you, then you're not ready to follow Jesus. It's, <laughs> you know, I, I can't really keep people out of the kingdom as long as we preach the gospel. So I, I just think there there are ways that, um, that we can, can go wrong. And I, I think the, I, I think even, even it, Jared Wilson just recently put this up. He's like, have you have any good examples of somebody being scolded into seeing Jesus as more beautiful? And instead of trying to understand what he was asking, everybody wants to like now come back with, you know, it's in a sense to answer his question, but they're not answering his question because they're like, well, how about get behind me, Satan? Didn't that help Peter love Jesus more? And it's like, okay, yes, that's called rebuke. And he's talking about scolding. He's he, Jared's getting at something else here. And maybe he yeah. could have said it better to set it up. But I think that stuff does matter. You know, Jesus had really hard words, harsh words, but they were usually reserved for leaders who twisted scripture and led people to hell. That's when Jesus mm-hmm. got really hard. Otherwise, yeah. Jesus seemed to be pretty patient, pretty tender towards immoral and, and bankrupt people. Yeah, Amen. Would you say, Pastor Joe, would you say that
0: the gospel is the defining issue that separates a true church or true religion from a false one, or is there something else?
1: Um, Yeah, I would say, well, I I would probably say more than that, Um, because it certainly is true that if you get the gospel wrong, you're not really Christian, right? And I don't mean like, oh, you misarticulated it because I do that, <laughs> right? I don't mean like, oh, you misspoke mm-hmm. or you've got a corrupt aspect of it and you're not, you know, and you're not real, you're not tied enough there. I mean, like, if you have a different gospel, then you're not a church, you're not a Christian, right? This is why historically... Prod- like, like mm-hmm. it- What was that?
0: Well, like, like if you substitute works yeah. for faith or works for grace.
1: Something Mm -hmm. along those lines. Yeah. So, so yes, I I think that's at the heart of it. I'm one of those old school guys that thinks the doctrine of justification is at the heart of the gospel. I do think it's the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. If we lose that, there's really not much left that you can save, but there are other things connected to the gospel, right? Necessary components, right? Um, Like the doctrine of the Trinity. No, the doctrine of the Trinity isn't the gospel. But and you don't necessarily have to understand the Trinity to the best of your ability in order to understand the gospel, but you do have to understand something. You have to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that that Jesus is divine. You have to, I didn't understand much more than that. I certainly didn't understand the Trinity. Um, but like, you, you, I remember you saying that in a sermon recently. I, I, you know, somebody was like, Jesus is God. I'm like, Son of God, and they're like, "Mm, He's God too. I'm like, He's God, God? they're like, yeah, man. But again, I had no, but all (laughs) all I got was like, I knew father, son, spirit, but I no education. I didn't really know what to do with it. I hadn't formulated any of it. And so outside of just affirming what I've read so far of scripture, Jesus is the son of God. So I think that there are doctrines that are critically important and that connect to the gospel necessarily, right? They connect necessarily to the gospel. So if you mess those Mm. up, you're going to, if you're going to, if you could really mess up the gospel and, you know, and I guess we're talking about the level of orthodoxy, right? Um, you know, I, w- I would look at basically, um, orthodoxy to use the, to use the words the way they used to be used. I would use orthodox and evangelical, um, as, as these, these circles around which that, that guard the gospel, right? The gospel being the life, death and resurrection for sinners, um, And so Orthodoxy is Trinitarian theology, as reflected in the creeds, um, apostles, Nicaea, Chalcedon, and then evangelical, I would just say, it's the solas of the reformation, right? Protestant, essential theology, Mm -hmm. sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus. So I think that, um, those are the things that are like really connected, necessarily connected to the gospel in some way, but, um, they aren't all the gospel, but they're all connected.
0: I see. So you lose one of those, you, you're in danger of losing yeah. the gospel because you've, you've torn down, you've, you've broken through one of the protecting walls around the gospel. Yeah, you, 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 you lose the yeah. Trinity and then it's like, who sent Jesus and who yeah, is Jesus? Who
1: died? What are we indwelled with when we believe? Yeah, yeah. it gets really dangerous. And again, yeah. it's not always an immediate sort of a thing. This is why, you know, you see, you see people, yeah. you see, you see denominations falling after a couple of generations right it's like it doesn't happen in one generation right there's something slipping something giving way and it's the next generation or the one after that where it really comes to bear the fruit uh, like oh well we started playing in, in classic liberal theology wasn't a denial of the resurrection it wasn't a denial of the the exclusivity of salvation in christ alone it was what the inerrancy of scripture you can't trust scripture Sometimes it gets it wrong that it's always, yeah. and that's what and that's what, yes. T- <laughs> False teachers yeah. love to undermine. Of scripture. course. Cause, cause listen, man, yeah. it's a double edged yeah. sword, but we don't like it. You no know, people don't let like, I me mean, either love it or you hate it mm-hmm. or you try to ignore it. And the devil's been doing this from the right. very beginning, twisting right. the word, twisting God's words. Right. And so, yeah, that's what, that's how liberalism started. It was like, uh, you know, Crawford toy at Southern seminary dating Lottie moon back in the day and he starts to go nutty with this sort of thing and you'll see so you start questioning whether or not everything that's in scripture is trustworthy um and can be can be read and believed as it's intended to be and then you then you begin to quail, okay well if that if i can't then you know did jesus really raise from the dead does it matter this
0: is this is our message the gospel is our message this is the message of the church this is um, you mentioned the word evangelical earlier. Even that word evangelical means centered around the evangel, yeah. the gospel. So It's a dead word now, but... This it, is something we need to but, be sharing. We know what it I, means, right? Right, right. It's been dragged yeah. through every, every swamp and... Yeah, okay. Um, but this is a message that we need to be sharing. I know you believe that. You preach that consistently. That's something that I'm very passionate about. What are some good methods for sharing the gospel for, so our our listener most likely is probably a man. He's probably got kids or or wants to have kids. Um, He's probably not seminary educated. Okay. But he's serious about passing on his faith, making an impact in his local area at work, in his home with his family. What, what are some good methods for our listener to
1: communicate this message. Okay. I'll say a couple of things. Number one is, um, don't be afraid. Don't be so afraid that you're going to do it wrong, that you don't do anything, right? So don't let that happen. Don't be like, oh, the Avenger cube, stupid tracks, lame. I'm not going to, okay. So then you don't do anything. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. Okay. Be willing to look stupid, be willing to be cheesy. If that's how it's going to be perceived, be willing to get it wrong. Be, be willing to be outsmarted by somebody. I mean, Joel, you, you've debated people. You talk to people all the time. Sometimes they get the better of us in a conversation. We don't want to admit it, but it's like, yeah. I know I'm right, I know they're wrong, but I, I did I didn't yeah. I didn't I didn't really engage that well there. That happens. That's okay, because it's not up to your power or your ability to persuade anybody to believe. Your job is to proclaim the gospel. So number one, don't avoid sharing the gospel because you're afraid you're going to do it wrong or embarrass yourself or embarrass Jesus. Um, Jesus knows who you are and he loves you. So you're good. That's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'll say is um, you just, you have to be really familiar with the gospel. You have to know what it is. Now, if, if you're a new Christian and all you know is, Hey, listen, Jesus, the son of God died on the cross for my sins. I believe in him and he has changed my heart. He has, he's he's taken away my guilt. And then, so what you share, what you know, well share as much as you know, well, but the, the more, the the more deep you get into the gospel, the more thoroughly you understand it. People sometimes talk about gospel fluency these days. Um, That's great. You'll be, you'll have more avenues by which you can walk people to Jesus based on where they're at. So be very familiar with the gospel. And then, there are tools out there and two ways to live, like whatever. I don't use that stuff. Um, they're all good. I, they're not all good. Some of them are very good. I just think about it in terms of categories and questions. All right. So in terms of categories, um, Mark Dever's thing is what um, God, Man, Christ response. Is that right? Um, so that's I how. Think he's so. Eat. It's, I've, I don't know if that was Mark. Yeah, Dever, Mark Dever was the, the first that. guy I heard use that in his evangelism little book. And he's like, just categories, right? So if I'm gonna, mm-hmm. if I need to share the gospel with somebody, what do they need to know? Well, they need to know something about God, holy, just, good Creator, man, accountable to God, fallen, in you know, guilty, in need of redemption. Where are we going to get that? Christ, boom, redemption, response, faith and repentance, right? So God, man, Christ, response. That's fine. Yeah. Um, honestly, I just kind of keep in my own mind. I've always kept for not always, but for decades now, guilt, grace, gratitude. Um, Those are the main issues that drive my presentations of the gospel with people. Now, of course, to get to guilt, you have to first have have to have an understanding of human beings made in the image of God, um, you know, and all of that. So God is creator. God's God's always a part of it. But I think about it in terms of sort of questions and categories. Right. So guilt, everybody that I encounter wrestles with guilt. They don't all want to know where they go when they die. They don't all like sit there and, and wonder, oh, where did I come from? But everybody wrestles with guilt. Like bad things happen. I've done bad things. Is there cleansing? Is there is there forgiveness? I mean, because my, my sins go beyond, or my corruptions, my failures go beyond the people that I have hurt. So I think the, the weight of guilt and the reality of guilt and then guilt before God is a big one. So I think of that. And then there are passages that you're just going to naturally be familiar with that speak to the issue of guilt or, you know, being made in the image of God, whatever it is, whatever it is that gets you to that point. So I think of guilt, I think of grace, right? And that's just, you know, God's love for sinners. Sometimes, man, I don't, before I even get to Christ, I, I paint the picture of guilt and the doom and gloom and how bad it is. And then here comes the surprise. You know what? But God loves you. <laughs> you know, as messed up and ugly as we are, He loves us. In that condition, He loves us, and He demonstrates that He loves us in that condition because this is what He did. And so, grace, boom, Christ, life, death, resurrection, all of that, um, and then res- and then gratitude, right? That's the response, right? It, gratitude is the receiving of God's gifts, is saying thank you. Yes, that that's faith. Um, it promotes humility and. And everything else. So I, I honestly, I just think about guilt, grace, gratitude, because I think of categories and questions and the way that that usually unfolds is when I'm, when I'm out, I'm at a cigar shop or, you know, I'm at a, used to be the mall. Remember when you could go to the mall? I missed that mall was fun, yeah. man. Anyway. Um, yeah, we don't, have, we don't have, we don't, I went to the mall recently. It no, was a blast from the
0: past. I went to Yorktown Mall. Yeah, there,
1: there's a there's a there's a, there's a oh I know, there. there's a few malls, and it's like yeah, this is nice if if they can keep them going. But anyway, um, yeah, right, yeah, you got this feeling like like oh boy, how long's this going to yeah. last? But yeah, anyway, I know boy. it's like I'm I'm desperate. I'm really I get nostalgic. You know, the other day I watched 30 minutes of commercials from the early 80s on YouTube. I just it really? felt so good. I'm like. Hmm. This is so nice. So, so innocent yeah. comparatively, innocent Simpler comparatively thought. people not actually innocent. Come on. I know I lived in the eighties. I know what it was like. Um, all right. So think about questions, right? Because people, will, people will talk about, you know, education, like education system is so busted. Look at our kids, man. Look at what happened with COVID and we kept our kids out too long. Or look at how these other countries are kicking our butts in education. So we're talking about education. Well, we're talking about knowledge. Why do they care so much? What's the, what's what happens when we aren't educated? What happens in, in in terms of miseducation? So like you can start to see like there are issues here floating around. That if it's a real conversation, I don't want to, I don't want to hijack the conversation and take it completely off book immediately. But it is gonna wind up, it is gonna start to, I'm gonna start to peel away those layers to get down underneath. And I know you do this as an apologist, Joel. You wanna peel like, okay, we're talking about these, these surface issues, which are important and good, but let's let's peel these away. And let's get down underneath it to talk about some of the deeper principles underneath these problems, right? Because the problems have principles that are pushing them up. And that's when you get to to apply some of those guilt, grace, gratitude questions, right. Or the things that surround those to those issues. So, I mean, I don't typically, and I haven't for years gone with a script. Um, I, other than, you know, I, I look for where they're at. I try to understand and, and I share. So there's, there's good resources out there. I don't use them. So I don't, I couldn't really tell you there's some good books on evangelism. I would encourage you guys to read, but honestly be familiar with the the, the gospel be familiar with scripture stay in the word and here's like an encouragement for christians i'm i've it's it never gets old if when i'm in the word and i'm, I'm kind of i kind of have to because i'm paid to be in the word <laughs> it's not my job so but but god <laughs> listen in, and you, you'll know this to be true when you're in the word god will give you an opportunity to share what you've been studying it's in that bizarre mm-hmm. it's always that way it's yes. like somebody comes up to you and they're like, yes. man, I've been really struggling with like anxiety and fear and it's been coming out in this way. And you'll be like, this is so crazy because last week I just read this passage and it really spoke to that. And it's like yeah. all the times so will stay in the word. You will be, you will be so much more ready to share the gospel with people. If you're just regularly in the word more so than if you memorize the Romans road and just put that in your back pocket. That'll work. So the true. Romans wrote to work, but if you're in yeah. the word fresh, boy, God just, he's just going to work. He's connecting the dots for you. The spirit's working in your life. And then it's pretty yeah. exciting. That that's been, I know that's been your experience. It's been my experience too. Oh, hundred percent. And just for
0: our listener, who's not aware the Romans road is like five verses or five or six, depending on which verses you choose from Romans that articulate really it's, it's guilt, grace, gratitude, or God, man, sin response. It's, yeah. it's basically that. Um, I, I will say, Romans six twenty three is a major, it's, it's a verse I always have yep. in my back pocket because it's the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in yep. Christ Jesus. So that's like a one mm-hmm. verse gospel presentation. You can unpack that. But man, what you're saying about spending time in the word, I remember one time I was at Starbucks and I'd been reading like in second Kings or first Kings or something. And um, some random passage, it must've been, maybe it was first Kings, but or maybe even Samuel. Cause it was, I think it was about Saul and it was about, I don't even remember how I applied it, but God just brought this passage from Saul's story, you know, not like the apostle Paul, like, yeah. like old yeah. Testament Saul, you know, like, what are you going to get from him? But God gave me just the the perfect way to apply mm-hmm. a lesson from Saul's life to this person's situation and present the gospel. And it's like, okay, Lord, I guess, I guess if I just stay in your word, I guess you'll you'll make it work for me you'll yeah. provide the the tools. it's totally true so, because cool. I mean,
1: think of all the historical figures who are converted because of one verse from a bible half accurately relayed yeah. to them you know what i mean it's like like, <laughs> like these there like there'll be a one verse one passage that hits them that just strikes a chord. God uses it. So we, that's why you, we always encourage people when you are evangelizing, we'll share the word, right? Now, don't just tell a story. Don't just tell the yeah. story, but like give them something from the word and something like Romans six twenty three is is really good for that because it's got so much packed into such a short statement. Like they can really carry that, carry that with them. So I think that's, that's a great idea. If you just, yeah. if you just give them one verse and you'll be surprised, like you might, <laughs> You know, you could pull something out of Ecclesiastes and God will connect the dots for them. Sure. Right. Oh, it's like when it says like, oh, yeah. fear Absolutely. God. That might be enough because they've been given the context, like through, through your evangelist, evangelistic presentation. Oh, wow. Right now I'm afraid of God because of my sins but if i fear him properly if i revere him if i look to his son and believe then that fear translates into exaltation and being in awe and like the god will use various passages in ways that you don't expect if you give him the gospel and share the word so i i think that that, that's probably the best thing that we could probably encourage people to do is be in the word and share it with people god will use it that's great and
0: if you start with that that foundation of like, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm just going to share. I'm going to bring them up and I'm going to let God do his work. And if I flub it and I totally make a fool out of myself, I, I'm willing to do that. That's fine. You know, because it, like King David said, I'll become even more undignified than this. You know, I just, I want to just talk about my Lord and hey, let, let let him be glorified. And if I look like an idiot, all right. so be it. Is there one question before we wrap up? Is there one question that you would use or do use
1: to start these gospel conversations or an evangelistic conversation? There's not one question. Um, I honestly think that the days of one good question for everybody are long gone. I think we're, I think we're too fragmented as a culture um, in, in, in America in particular. I just think we have too many worldviews, too many preoccupations. So I think that there are a number of questions that can begin to take us down down that road and they i think they revolve around issues of guilt so sin right um identity redemption forgiveness um i don't know if i said purpose but purpose no i don't think so these are these are These are big categories, big questions that people are really asking. And what's my purpose in life? And while that sounds really self-serving, it is the perfect question for them to ask. Because their purpose in life is, we would say, right, is to glorify and enjoy God. (laughs) How do we do that? Um, so like, I I look at that, I I look at, you know, and and yeah, death, where do we go when we die? That is one, a smaller segment today cares about that sort of a question than they did 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, and less so here than in other countries where death is a much more upfront and present danger for them. Right. Um, so I just think, yeah, if you can, if you can be kind of familiar with, you know, what the people are that you're encountering are likely to be holding in their minds. Right. Um, you know, and I, for me, honestly, it's like, it's purpose I, for, that's probably the most common one that I use. You know, do you have a purpose? Like, do you do you feel like you, you found purpose for your life? Do you think there is, do you think everybody has a purpose? Do you think it can be lost? Um, do you think that there is one purpose that's true for all humanity and not just us individually creating purposes for ourselves? I tend to have good conversations with people about that, that wind up leading into the God, which leads into guilt, which leads into grace, which leads into gratitude. So now, you know, let's recap. How did the gospel finally
0: click for Joe Thorne, the former Satanist? And what happened next? Well, he met a girl when he was in school, and then really it happened while he was reading the gospel of Matthew. And you heard about the joy and the peace that he had after he received Christ and how his family was happy. doesn't always work out that way. That was nice. And how he got off to a rocky but promising theological start. You also heard why Paul says the gospel is of first importance. Well, it's because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. There is no other way to get reconciled to God except through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also talked about why God doesn't just save his elect directly? Why does he use us? And we don't really know, but we do know that God does it for his glory, like he does everything. And it glorifies God to incorporate us, his people, in that process of gathering in his elect, which is amazing. I'm very grateful for that. It's a lot of fun. Who is the audience of God's theater of redemption? Well, it's angels. It's the elect, the people of God, the chosen ones. It's the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God himself. But probably one group that's not in that audience is the people who are in hell. Yes, they will confess, they will bow the knee to Jesus, but they will likely never fully get it because of the rebellion that they will always be in. And and thank God that he saved us from that. What actually is the gospel? Very simply, it's the life, atoning death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How does Jesus' death 2,000 years ago pay for our sins today? Well, because Jesus is the God-man, he's not affected by the passage of time the way we are. He And because he's sovereign, he can plan something before the creation of the world, which is what he did, and then actuate it in history with a punctiliar event that has ripples through time that actually affects the past and the present, uh, rather than just being the The kind of event that only affects its immediate time. God can do that. Jesus can do that because he's God and God can do that because he is sovereign. Where do we go wrong then in defining and sharing the gospel? Well, Joe talked about anytime that we mix law and gospel inappropriately or we substitute one for the other, we substitute commands instead of promises, we substitute works instead of grace through faith. That's where you're guaranteed to make to go wrong with the gospel. As far as sharing it, we never want to water down the gospel. We talked about the old crew statement, which is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, or actually God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. And how that can be so easily misunderstood as a material comfort rather than a life of true purpose and forgiveness and reconciliation to God. We talked about whether the gospel is the dividing line between true and false churches. Joe said that it is, but there are also other doctrines that are bound up with the gospel, which if you miss them, that'll set you way off track as well. For example, the Trinity. Now, finally, we talked about how to share the gospel without gimmicks. You heard how Joe doesn't really use a script. And I'll tell you, I don't really use a script either. Joe doesn't think that there is one question that you can use with everyone. Instead, he thinks in terms more of categories and questions. Remember he talked about God and man and sin and response or the threefold paradigm of guilt, grace and gratitude. I really like that. And Joe does something which I think is really great which he asks questions that speak directly to where the person is coming from. A big one, a big one of those questions you recall is the question about purpose and identity. Everybody wants purpose. Everybody wants to know why they're here. And guilt is another one, too. Everybody feels guilty about something. Excellent. Well, um,
1: anything else you want to leave our listener with before we wrap up? You know what they need to do? If they haven't already, they need to subscribe to your podcast is what they need to do. They need to subscribe to the YouTube. They need to like, they need to click the little bell, whatever. They got to do all the stuff. That's what they need to do.
0: That's (laughs) what they need to do. Okay. Well, listen. You heard it here. So uh, Pastor Joe says you got to do it. I, it's not me. No, I'm man. not saying that. That would just be self. If I testify about myself, my
1: testimony is right. Valid. So you listen up. But, uh, but just, there's someone else just who's encouraging, encouraging your, your listeners. If they're just popping in for the first time, they need to get on the ball. Appreciate that. Thank you. Where can people find your work? And, um, you know, tell you us can about find me Sundays at the, the number one way to come at Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. Come on down and worship with us. Find, it, it might be a little, it might be a little cramped. So you gotta get there early, find a spot. You can find me online, just Joe Thorne. And if you just type in Joe Thorne, you'll find me. I I get everything that's Joe Thorne, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. But another pastor and I do have a podcast called Doctrine and Devotion. So you can go to doctrineanddevotion.com or you can find us on any You know streaming podcasting platform you can find us there we release episodes twice a week on monday and thursday where we talk about doctrine theology and we crack wise and we have some fun blow off some steam and we just like to point people in in good directions to get to some good resources so uh, that's where you can you can find us online
0: yeah i was just thinking about before we hopped on to this recording i was just thinking about how much i've benefited from, you know, your, your podcast and just our many conversations over the years. So definitely, definitely. If, if for some reason our listener doesn't, if they know about me they I'm sure they already know about you and your show, but if they don't doctrine and devotion, definitely go check it out. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. And, um, yeah, just, I mean, you should, you, you should stop this show right now and go subscribe to, subscribe to this to one. Though, doctrine and subscribe devotion subscribe and to this channels.
1: one. Lock it in. Well, you gotta lock it in yeah obviously yes. this, one lock first. It right, in, this one first then you can yeah. go check out yeah. ours right
0: Pastor Joe thank you again so much really appreciate you
1: alright bro God bless. love you talk to you later
0: alright see you man you too so now do you want to grow as the worldview leader that your family and your church need you to be join our free community of over 700 others on the same journey getting equipped to explain share and defend the Christian worldview join the Think Squad To get access to the group, all you have to do is open up Facebook and search for Think Squad. That's T H I N K S Q U A D. Answer the short membership questions. That's all that it takes. Thank you for listening to Worldview Legacy. Thank you to my guest, Pastor Joe Thorne. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedicase, and is a production of the Think Institute. We equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message, and we are based by God's grace.